Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life, a podcast for all you seekers in the world. Seeking a new home, a new job, a new perspective, a new life. And for those of you who have already gotten started by moving to a new place, or feel a little bit stuck because you're back in the old place, we're here to keep you company as you explore the world. And this show is free. But you know in reality that it's not free. We work really hard on this show. We spend our time and our money every single week to bring it to you. And we do this hoping that you will also rise up and help keep the show going because you enjoy it. Maybe even because you count on it. So please, if you like the show, support it. Forgo a cup of coffee every month and commit to donating $5 a month. Write about the show on social media. Share it with your friends and family. Write us a good review. You have a chance, not just to listen, but to say, hey, I really like what you're doing here. Thanks for showing up for the last four years. Let me take you to dinner. You've heard me tell you about the donate button at thebittersweetlife.net or about telling a friend. And so today I challenge you. If you love the show, take action. Help us keep it alive and help us keep it growing. Now on with the show. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. We are in Rome, although for this episode we take a little side journey. I didn't spend my whole time here in Rome when I was here. I also traveled to the Amalfi Coast, like many people dream of, and I visited the town of Positano. Can we go down to Positano today, just for the sake of this episode, please? We will in our minds, <laughs> because we're going to meet a hotelier named Antonio Sersale, who is the owner and proprietor of the Serenus Hotel. The possibly most beautiful and most famous hotel in Italy. I can attest to that. It is absolutely gorgeous. And he agreed to sit down with me and talk a little bit about his life and his background and what it's like to run such a desirable hotel. Let's hear it. Hello, I'm Antonio Sersale, and I'm the owner of the Sirenus in Positano. We spoke a little bit with each other last night. You actually did spend a lot of time as an expat yourself. Um, yeah, I lived in various countries um, before coming back to Positano. I've been in Positano now for 25 years. Before that, I lived in England, I lived in Mexico, I lived for a brief period of time in Iran, and um, I also lived in Puerto Rico for one year. Wow, that's a lot of different places. Do you have a favorite of all those varied locations? Well, you know, it's not there's one place that you like over the others. There's something that you like about each place. You know, I remember my wonderful walks along the beach in Puerto Rico. I remember my horseback riding in Mexico. I remember visiting the ruins of Iran with my father. I remember, um, for example, in England, running through the fields when I was in boarding school. So each place has a magical sort of memory. I can't say that one is memories. I can't say that one is more special than others. Yeah. If you had to say you carry one thing from each one of those places, would that be too hard to do? No, because you carry various things. I think as human beings, we're made up of a series of memories and a series of, of events that shape our lives. And so... Um, that it happened in, a, in different places sort of gives me a more varied uh, sort of memory bank, if one can say like that. Yeah, right. 
Are you from Positano, first of all? Well, no. My father is originally from Naples. My mother is Californian. They met in Positano on the beach. And I was born in London. And then I lived um, my first years in, in London, actually. So your parents met on the beach in Positano. Yes. Tell me more about that. <laughs> well, my father was here on holiday and my mother came here as well. And, and my father was told that there was a very beautiful woman that had come to Positano and... He met her and the next thing you know, they were in love, they were together and it was magic. Yes. And how was it for you? How long did, was it until you came along? I think it was about two years and then I came along and then I came along. Yes. Tell me how it is that you end up going abroad. You're in England. How do you end up starting to move around so much? Well, I'm in England. Um, my mother and father are living there. Then my mother and father moved to um, when I'm around two or three. Um, they moved to Milan. And then um, after a while, my mother um, meets another man and with this other man decides that she's going to go and live um, first in the United States. They take me with her and then on to Mexico. And so I'm, I'm at the age of six, I find myself going to a little school in the village of Tasco Guerrero, which is a beautiful silver mining town um, with a beautiful Baroque architecture in between Mexico City and Acapulco. Was your father, um, after your mother leaves and she takes you with her, what was he doing? My father was actually working for an engineering company because um, he was living in Italy and um, he was very sad because he was desperately wanting to be with me and I was living with my mother and it was very complicated. And so he eventually, they reached an agreement whereby at the age of nine, I came to live with my father and spent holidays with my mother. I see. And so what, what was it like for you as a kid, these whole back and forth, moving from one country to another to another? Well, it was just sort of, it seemed just like a normal way of life. You know, I would be um, put on a plane and unaccompanied and, and I'd meet my mother at the other end and, and back again to my father. And it just seemed a normal way to, for me to grow up. And of course, it gave me access to various languages. I speak four languages now. Which ones? I speak Italian, English, French, and Italian. You said Italian twice. Sorry, Spanish. <laughs> Italian, English, French, and Spanish. Uh, that's a lot. Okay, so go on. Sorry, I So anyway, so um, I would just commute backwards and forwards, and then I, um, I ended up living in Milan from the age of six to nine and going to school in Milan. And then from there, I went um, from nine to 12. I lived in Iran. These were in the 70s when the Shah was still there. It was a wonderful moment to be living in Iran. And then from Iran, I went to live um, England, back to England, to boarding school from 16 to 19. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I spent a year learning French to go to the university in Grenoble. I spent a year learning French in Grenoble to go to the Ecole Hotelier of Lausanne in Switzerland. Yeah. I mean, that's so many different cultural influences. What does it get you dreaming about? Or did it give you sort of ideas of what you w wanted to do with your life? Did you want to keep moving? Well, it was very funny. When I was growing up, I wanted to be a banker. I had this dream about being a banker. And, um, and then my family kept on saying to me, you know, you've got, we've got this hotel someone has to look after. And eventually I decided that maybe it was the right thing to come and look after this hotel. So I ended up pursuing this career. I went to the hotel school. I made a, a career out of it. Then I, I, I worked for various multinational hotel chains in the United States and in Italy and then joined my family's hotel 25 years ago. Well, how does that happen, though? How do you go from wanting to be a banker and your family? They couldn't have just suggested it. Well, we have this hotel. We think you should run it. Well, it's this funny thing. You just end up falling into it. You know, it's just there it was a calling inside of me. And then I suddenly realized that 
maybe banking was not for me and I just fell into it. Maybe because of nothing better to do, maybe because almost of a lack of imagination, I just fell into it. And then once I was in it, I really made the best I could out of it. Yes. But last night you were telling me that there was a period of time when you were running from it. Tell me about that period of time. You know, I was, I didn't want to do it. I, I really, I, I thought, um, it, it was just, you know, I thought it was boring. I thought it was uninteresting. I thought living in a small village like Positano would be claustrophobic. And none of that actually is true because it's, it's, Positano is a wonderful place to live. It's got some of the most beautiful scenery in the world. And you have some of the most interesting people in the world coming to visit you. So it's as though you were living in a very cosmopolitan city just by the amount of visitors we get from all over the world. So it actually feeds into my want of travel, but I, I just travel through the people that come through here, which is very interesting sort of way of life. Is that as satisfying as traveling yourself? Absolutely, because I think nothing is more interesting than people in really in life. And meeting interesting people is one of the greatest privileges in the world. And I get to meet fascinating people who are passing through Positano. Tell me about somebody you met and what you learned from them. You don't have to tell me their name if you don't want me to. You meet explorers, you meet um, actors, you meet amazing writers. Now, as we speak, we're here at this incredible conference called Sirenland that is on its 11th year. And just through them, I've met an incredible collection of uh, fantastic writers. Do you think that because you moved so much that you're somehow more equipped to be a hotelier or have a job where people, different kinds of people from all over the world come in contact with you more often than say I would meet various people from everywhere? Well, I just think, you know, what, what it is, is you have to have the empathy to understand the people. You have to understand what really matters to them, what is important, what they need, how to look after them. And this is, if you've traveled, it really does help you tremendously to understand people. And I think the more you understand people, the more you can please them and make them happy and really do something that will change their life. Create an experience which is unique, you know, and, and, and really understand also what people are looking for. Are they looking for informality? Are they looking for formality? Are they looking for what are people really want when they go on holiday? They want something very elegant, but they want to feel that it's their house, that they own it, that they can behave just like they would in their house. But you have had to have met sort of similar people to really understand how they think and be able to please them, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, this is a very fancy, beautiful hotel with lots of works of art, lots of real plants, all these things. Do you find that people come and actually take care of the place? It seems like you're leaving all these beautiful, precious things around and I could just pick this up and take it with me. You know what I mean? I know, that's a risk, you know, and, and, but I would say 99.9% .9 of the people when they walk in here really appreciate it and, and actually are very nice and, and look after as though it was their house. You know, yes, of course, there'll always be someone that is a bit more sloppy, but that's life, really. But you can't let that 1% taint you, and you can't let that 1% in any way discourage you from doing what you feel is right and what you think people will really appreciate and find beautiful. Well, I think what really makes this hotel more special than, than so many other places that all the people are from here. All the staff that collaborates here, that works here are all local. So not only are you staying in an, in an old house that belonged to a family from this area, but you're also meeting all the people from this area. So it's really also interaction with any staff member. It's really an interaction with someone from this place. He'll tell you the story of his ancestry, of, of his passions, of what he likes to do. Some like to go fishing, some like to go swimming. 
some like to garden. So you really would have a, a really uh, just by me being around them, you would just have a, a sort of a, a real experience. I can't explain it, but again, I go back to this thing of people. So you've been here a long time, 20 something years, right? But you've grown up all over the world. You've seen so much. You've been around so many different people. Would you consider yourself local? You know, I'm local and I'm not. I'm local in that I really love this. I'm local in that I adore the people from here. But am I considered local? No, because I wasn't born here, because I don't know many of the things, of the little details, of the little gossips that everyone sort of in a local community passes on to each other. And I also spend a lot of time traveling to promote the hotel. So I'm not really involved in the local gossip, so on and so forth. But I love the people. I think the people love me very much. And so there is just this bond, but it doesn't mean that I'm a true local. It's, it's, it's very difficult to explain. Yeah. No, I, I mean, one of the things we talk about on this show a lot is that sometimes the danger is if you, if you displace yourself enough and you get to find homes in a whole bunch of different places, it's hard to know where you're actually home. You're not rooted in one spot anymore. No, but do we need it? I mean, I think home is, is something that certain people need and other people need less. I mean, there are people that, you know, spend half to two-thirds of their year traveling. And yes, I mean, I feel when I walk into this hotel, this is my calling. This is the reason for my existence. This is my home. But I feel very much at ease when I'm in Miami, where we have our new restaurant, or where I'm in New York seeing my boys, or where I'm in Milan visiting my wife's family, or, you know, I mean, there are many, or in London where I, where I have lots of friends. So actually, yes, I feel this is where I belong for a series of reasons, including work reasons, but I also feel very much at ease in various places. So for you, it's almost like a non-question. Why would you want to be rooted in one particular spot? Yes, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't see a need for that in my life. But I mean, you know, it was, I never really had it. So I'm not missing out on something that was a part of my life. If you've grown up somewhere all your life and all of a sudden you're displaced, it's a disastrous problem. I mean, when you see people that have had to leave their country as a result of a revolution and you see this, this sadness, this sense of loss and abandonment, it's disastrous because they had a life that they're no longer allowed to go back to, you see. I never really had that. I was constantly moving and by constantly moving, I never really had a sense of place in my existence, as many people have. Do you wish that you had? At times I do. It probably would have given me a bit more confidence. I have managed to find the confidence that has allowed me to become the man I am through other things, mostly through work and through a sense of purpose and through a sense of achievement of what I've done in, in this microcosm that I've created. In a totally different vein, since you deal with a lot of different tourists and tourists sometimes have a terrible reputation, would you... Give any tips of how to be a better visitor to a place? What would you I say? Believe, I believe that there is a difference between a traveler and a tourist. And I think we all have to strive to be travelers. I think travel is to dig deep, to take the time, to really, um, uh, to really want to know. So, you know, to go to a place and really be curious. Take your time to walk 
walking is one of the best ways of travel. So, I mean, when you're in a place, make sure you walk around. There's some lovely paths around Positano. You can walk up. You can rent a boat and go along the coast. And, I, and what I say is, you know, sometimes less is more. We want to see too much. So we remain on the surface. I like travel to be right slow, to be, you know, to go to a place, spend a few days exploring and really try to understand and enrich yourself through the experiences of the place and then feel that you've actually achieved something. One thing people often fall into, I've noticed, I do it myself, is trying to compare one place to another. It's almost like you go, oh, well, I, I'm in Positano. I've been in Priano. This reminds me of Greece. This reminds me of this or that. Comparing it from one place to another. Well, we all naturally do it. You know, we all like to think, oh, it's not as nice as that. It's not as nice as this. It's not as good as that. It's, you know, that one was better as this. It's, uh, it's, we like to compare it to also find a, a way of judging, of, of, of scale of one to ten, you know. The, the, that place was ten, this place is five, this place is ten, that place was five. But I think at the end of the day, what you really have to do is you have to look at a place for what it is itself. You know, you have to try and embrace it, love it, understand it, love the people, and through that feel that you've come away enriched and that your life is better because you've understood and you've seen how other people live and what matters to other people. And you see, when you are able to understand what matters to them, it's as though you enrich your life by expanding your horizons. Yeah. So no regrets ever that you didn't go into banking? None. Nice. None. I have no regrets. And uh, actually, each day that passes, I'm happier to have chosen the profession I chose. I come to work every day, and I could not think of any place I'd rather be than here. The hotel business is something we all should look into, really, if it's as great as you say. You know, I, I think it's fantastic. But yet the next day, I speak to my wife's sister, who's a doctor, and, and she would never be anything but a doctor. So I think one has to follow one's heart and, and really try and understand what one is good at and pursue it, because that's the only way that one will actually be successful because the only way that you can be successful is to be doing from morning to night something that you truly enjoy. So you are fortunate if you manage to discover that. Did you try other things that didn't fit right? I did the odd job. I worked. I did little things, but it was always somehow tied into this and I always somehow at the back of my mind knew that one day sooner or later <laughs> this is where I'd end up. So that's Antonio Sursale from the Serenus Hotel in Positano. What did you think? I really enjoyed listening to him talk. Like, I feel like he's the type of person I could just listen to for a while. Yes, he's got a lot of magnetism, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I could even get that over the tape. And I, I have to be honest with you, after I listened to the interview, I had to Google him to see what he looked like. And? Did he look like what you thought? Um, pretty much. Um, you know, I mean, he would be of a certain age, having been a young man in the 70s, as he says. But yeah, I mean, I just, I don't know. He just was, seemed very fascinating to me. Yeah, yeah. It's so interesting when you listen to people on the radio, how sometimes you just need to know what they look like. Mm -hmm. I was asking you, because oftentimes that's not what you actually expect the person to look like. Yeah, I mean, I knew, you know, I imagined him as Italian and as, as of a certain age. And so I thought, now, maybe he's like this really giant fat man but I thought no nah, I just don't think so <laughs> more too much energy so I mean one of the things that struck me about him and because I spent some more time with him than we actually had time for when we did the interview before we did the interview together we had talked a lot about this idea of running from a job that you think that you're supposed to have and when he was a younger man he always knew that the family had this 
hotel that they were running in Positano. And for him, he was thinking that that's not for me. I don't want to be the person who is, has to run that hotel. And so he spends all of these intervening years trying other things and, and trying to get a, far away from the hotel business. And then eventually at some point, and I wish I could remember the details now, uh, he has a turning point and decides to give it a try and finds that all along this thing that he had been running from for so many years was the thing that he found extremely fulfilling and everything else he had tried while running was not fulfilling. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't really let in on that during the interview. Yeah, I think it's because we already talked about it. So it's one of those things where, well, we just had that conversation. (laughs) You know, even though it was on a different day. Yeah, we didn't quite get there. But what do you think of that notion? Was there ever anything that your parents perhaps really hoped that you would be? Well, I was very lucky that my parents um, really let me find my own way and didn't try to push me in any way. And I mean, I wanted to be an opera singer when I was a kid, which is you know, not exactly a secure path. Um, but they were so supportive of that. So no, they wanted me to do what was going to make me happy. I was very lucky in that regard. What about yourself? I don't know that they had a particular profession that they wanted me to do, but I know that they wanted me to have a very steady employment. Not so much my father, my mother does listen to this podcast, but particularly her. I think she always felt much more secure when I had a job that seemed like it was a prominent job, like a job with a good company, something like that. When I got out of college, I was trying to make it as a freelance writer for a while. And that was a painful process where I was broke much of the time. And so when I did have jobs, like I briefly worked for amazon.com and and I hated that job more than anything I've ever done in my entire life. And when I wanted to quit, my mother made a case for why I should keep it because I think for her, it was much better <laughs> to know that I was working for a good company who was going to give me great benefits and I was going to be secure. Can I ask what you did for Amazon? I'm just out of curiosity. I, think, I don't think you've ever told me. Oh, I was a customer service representative Ouch. on the phone and on email. Half the day on the phone, half the day on email. Ouch. I lasted for, let's see, I had to go through a month-long training session to get that job. So that I count that month as like the beginning of my purgatory. And then I quit the second week. Well, I quit long before this, but my last day was something like January 15th. When did you, you didn't say when you started. Oh, well, I went through the month-long training in the September, and oh. then I started in October, and wow. I lasted until mid-January. Wow, wow, that is short. But back to Antonio. Indeed. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what to say. I wonder if, I mean, the skeptical side of me says, well, maybe he's just the type of person who will find happiness in whatever he's doing. I mean, there are people like that. You know, they say there's that old kind of corny expression, to be happy, don't do what you love, love what you do. Right? Right, yeah. Um, Making the best of the situation, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, and that it could be, that that was the case. I mean, I wonder if the parents ran a little dingy two and a half star in some truck stop town, if he would have felt the same about the hotel business, because there's the hotel business and then there's the hotel business. And if any of you guys have never heard of or had the fortune of staying at La Serena's, um, it's a different type of a place. It's one of those hotels, and I personally have never been there, but I have seen photos and films that take place there, but 
it's one of those types of places where, and he mentions this, you know, important people come through those doors and not necessarily just famous people, but people who are incredibly fascinating and, uh, and have incredible stories. And I kind of like picture, I don't know, like the Hotel Budapest, you know, film. And I'm like, this idea of running this place that's become iconic and everyone who's anyone wants to go there at least once and, and to see it. And it's, it's become almost a destination itself. And that is very, very different from just, you know, giving somebody keys and telling them where the ice machine is. Right. There is no ice machine. <laughs> exactly. They probably <laughs> cut it for you themselves. They, they, they chip it off of a block and they bring it to you on a platter. Yeah, it is a, an incredible place. And I, yeah, I think it does stand to reason that he might feel differently if it was a place that was just along a highway. You don't really have that as much in Italy, the hotels that are just along a highway, do you? Um, I don't know because I've never stayed in a place like that, but I'm sure that our hotels, convenience hotels, you know, people near airports and things like that, I'm, I'm sure they exist. Well, I will say that his hotel is one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen. And I think part of that is because, well, it's Positano, so it's got an amazing view for one. But it's also built out of an old manor house of a family that lived there a really long time ago. So it's got this very homey house type of feel to it. Mm -hmm. And I think that that makes it comfortable in a, in a different kind of way. Yes, yeah, some of those grand hotels, those large, large grand hotels, there is something very sterile about them that is beautiful as they are and as luxurious as they are you know that every room is exactly the same and there's not very much imagination there. When, no matter what profession you're in, when you reach the top or when you're fortunate enough to be grandfathered into the top, you know, I mean, it's a different thing. It's one thing to be a, to pick a random example, to be somebody's driver. And it's another thing to be the driver of the Queen of England or something. You know what I mean? It's when you reach the top of, your game or the, the highest you can go within your profession. It almost doesn't matter what the profession is anymore because you must have so much pride in your work that it must naturally become, you know, a great passion for you. So it sounds like to me, since you're, you like Antonio so much, you better book your night at his hotel. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we won't be able to eat for six months, but we'll, we'll do it. Okay, great. <laughs> uh, no, I do want to thank him for coming on the show and well, we'll leave it there. <laughs> that concludes our trip to Positano. Over too fast. Do you feel like I never even left Rome? <laughs> uh, well, and until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Bye. Thanks for being with us. If you're taking a trip to Rome sometime soon, don't forget that Tiffany is an excellent tour guide. You can find out more information and even book her on a tour. Just visit tiffany-parks.com that's tiffany-parks.com and if you have any trouble finding it just send us an email at bittersweetlife at mail.com and we'll get you connected <laughs> <laughs>